0: Well, it is a joy and a delight to be with y'all again this evening. It's been almost 1 year exactly since we were with y'all last time. Uh and so it is always a pleasure to be here at First Scots and get to preach God's word. Tonight we're going to be looking at uh 2nd Samuel chapter 5. We're going to look at the whole of the chapter. As I was In the office with Alex, he told me this joke would be okay. We're going to look at the whole chapter. We're going to do it in one night. If he was preaching it, it'd be a ten-week sermon. So a ten-week series, right? So um, we're getting through it quick tonight. Um, His wife enjoyed that joke more than anybody else here. So uh, just so that you know, we're going to look at the whole text this evening really do an overview of it as a way of of looking at it. I just want to say thanks at the beginning. Thanks for your prayers for Marvin and for your support of that medical bill. Marvin uh, actually moved back into the house while we were flying back here uh, on Friday. And so he's recovered from his surgery, and so we thank you for your prayers. Uh, that was a very tough situation for us, and uh, the Lord has been very kind in sparing his life. And so we thank you for praying for us and supporting us in that. And so with that being said, let us turn to the word of the Lord just as way of reminder. The word of the Lord is the power unto salvation. This is the most powerful thing we will do this evening because God's word does not return void. So I plead with you. I plead with you to pay attention not to my words but to the word of the Lord because it is him speaking to you. So hear the word of the Lord from Second Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and da- King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven, seven years and six months. At Jerusalem, he reigned over Is- all of Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will, co- you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater. For the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, and also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he, became, after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to him. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishamah, Eliadah, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come to spread out in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of the Lord, "'Shall I go up against the Philistines? "'Will you give them into my hand?' And the Lord said to David, "Go up, for I certainly give the Philistines, for I certainly will give the Philistines into your hand." And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, "The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood." Therefore the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam tree. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We're thankful that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it does cut us to the quick. Lord, we ask that tonight as we close this Lord's Day, as we take these few moments to look at this passage, we ask that you would grant us the ability to lay the things that are captivating our minds to the side. The coming work week and family issues or sickness or whatever may be upon our minds, we ask that you would grant us the ability to focus on the Word of God. We ask that you would through your Spirit, apply it to our lives, that you would allow us to see the riches and the glory of your character and your mercy to us, O oh Lord. We pray that your name would be lifted high, O oh Lord. Forgive the one who preaches, for his sins are many. We long to see Jesus, O oh Lord, that we may see him. We pray it in Christ's name, Amen. For many of us, things that don't change are extremely comforting. A lot of us like the idea that there are things in our lives that never change. I was thinking about this idea the other day. as I took a friend to a place called El Patio in Tegucigalpa. It's, a, it's called The Patio, right? And it's a steak place that's been there since I was a, a little kid. It's actually been there since the 1970s. And we used to walk to it with everybody that came to Honduras. And I took a friend there last Saturday night and the reason it was so good is that one of the things I love about going to El Patio is when you show up at El Patio, when y'all come, any of y'all come to visit us in Honduras, I'll take you there, and you will get the same steak and it tastes exactly the same as when I was three or four years old. There's something about knowing that I can go to El Patio and give somebody a good Honduran meal and it never changes. Another illustration of that is I can remember being a kid, and my grandparents lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and we would fly home from the mission field, and we would go to their house, and I can remember there was certain things that reminded me of my grandparents' house, and it was the sound of the door, the back door. I could open it, and it still sounds. I could still hear the sound in my ears. There were three steps, and then the first thing that hit me was the smell of Gaga and Papa's house, and I can pass that smell Anywhere that I go and I can close my eyes and I'm immediately standing back in my grandparents' living room in Nashville, Tennessee. And there's something about the fact that it always smelled the same that was comforting. And when we come to this text, this text is oozing with the smell or or seeping out is the smell of God's faithfulness. You see, it's a a whole group of stories. It actually doesn't, these stories don't happen in chronological order. They're all put together, and the point of them being put together this way is that we would focus on the God of the chapter, that we would see the glory of this God and his goodness and faithfulness to David. And so that's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see how God has not changed. He is immutable in his characteristics in dealing with David and with his people. So the first thing that we should see this evening is his faithfulness to the promise. We see that in verses 1 to 10. You see that God is being faithful to the promise. In verses 1 and 2, the people are flocking to David to to uh, anoint him as king, and they give a few different reasons as to why they've come. The first is that you are bone and flesh of us. You are one of us, David, and you not only are one of us, you are one of these men that has led us out and brought us back in. You've been a more faithful king, a more faithful leader than even Saul has been to us. But you notice the main reason they come in verse 2, it says and the lord said to you you shall be shepherd of my people israel and you shall be prince over israel so they have come because of god's word because god is the one who is being faithful to them but to understand a little bit of the context, David had already been anointed. Remember, in, 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 in private, they came to him and made him king. And now, in front of all of Israel, all these leaders, they come. But to give us a little context if you'll, of who's shown up here, if you'll flip over to First Chronicles, First Chronicles, and chapter 12. 1 Chronicles and chapter 12. You'll see a little bit of what's going on. In verse 38, it tells us all these men of war, all these men of war, arrayed in battle order, came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over Israel, all of Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king. And they were there with David for three days, eating and drinking, for their brothers had made preparation for them. So who has shown up to make David king? We, we see that all these men, the, the men of Israel have shown up, men of war. These are men who are showing up in their military garb before David to, uh, the, I keep thinking the word in Spanish is ungir, to anoint him the king of Israel. And so they, they show up and, and you can't think that it's just a small group of people. Most likely this was around 300,000 military men showing up to make David king. That's all of Charleston proper and all of Savannah proper, all of the inhabitants, plus a few, showing up here, imagine that, to anoint David, and they're all in military garb. And they have shown up because they are, being, they are, the one, they are talking about God's faithfulness to the word. And you can think that David, as he stands there and sees all these men standing in front of him, there to anoint him king, you can imagine the overwhelming nature that was for David, that God has been faithful to his word because there was a time when David was hiding in caves running from Saul, there's been all kinds of opposition. If you just go back one or two chapters, you see, actually, if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it says there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. So there's been unrest, there's been all these problems, there's been all this infighting just in the the chapter before. Ishbosheth has had his head cut off by two men who are trying to get in with, with David in a good way. And there's all this fighting and opposition. And yet what we're seeing is God being faithful to his word. You can see that God has brought these men, even though they are coming to anoint David, it is God who has said, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall be their prince. For that very reason, because of God's word, we are here to anoint you. Because God has been faithful, because God will continue to be faithful. There's nothing that can stop it. All the sins of man, nothing has changed the faithfulness of this God. And if you want to see an illustration of that, and I love that Ralph Davis says we don't normally connect Jebusites with faithfulness of God. But yet... It's almost as if the text says, okay, you want to see how God's been faithful? David reigns, and then you get this whole situation with the Jebusites. In verse 6, it says, And the king of his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David can't come in here. These men begin to mock David because they are holding on to this territory within the land that they don't think that he can actually get a hold of. But why is the Jebusite land or where they are so important? Look back with me at Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. And you'll see that when God is making a covenant with Abraham, sorry, Genesis 15, I, 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 it's Genesis fifteen eighteen. So in Genesis 15, verse 18, God is making a covenant with Abram, and it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of who? The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And so what we can see in just the naming of a name is God's faithfulness to his word. That he would give Abraham's descendants this land. And now after all this infighting, all this time waiting that, that Israel would have all this land, now David is taking this land. It has been 800 years of waiting for that fulfillment. That this God is not losing any time he is continuing to be faithful as a friend reminded me just the other day the the old negro spiritual that said we have an on-time God he shows up on time God is being faithful to his word and 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 oftentimes we can't wait the 30 seconds for the Netflix thing to to go to the next episode and we're clicking next 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 and these people have waited 800 years For God to be faithful because our God does not forget. Our God does not change. Our God is being faithful to His Word even when we cannot see all the moving parts of what He's doing. And that is what He is reminding us of. And so, what it causes us to do as believers is to wait patiently on Him, to trust Him. So often, our tendencies are to look around and to question because of our situations because of our family situations, because our marriages aren't great, because our job isn't great, because our health isn't great, and we judge God's faithfulness based upon our feeling when we should be judging God's faithfulness upon his very word that he will be faithful to do what he has said he will do in being faithful to us. You see, his promises are perfect and they never fail. His promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And so we can know that time does not change this this promise. We can know that enemies will not ever overcome this. We can recognize that our own lack of faith doesn't diminish the promise of God that he will finish the work that he began in us. You see what this text, even in just these few words, is is doing is causing us to look up to our God and see that He did not forget in all these years of waiting. He didn't even forget that He had promised Abram the land of the Jebusites. And though it took 800 years, He was faithful to finish it. And maybe, maybe that's what we need to hear even this evening. As we were riding in the car this morning, we were listening to hymns and. One of the hymns, O love that will not let me go, came on. And the reminder of, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. The reality is that as life is hard and difficult and we're struggling with all the things going on, we can trace the rainbow of, of God's faithfulness to David and God's faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus, and find hope in what He has done. How it applies to us is just in our daily lives as we struggle with the ins and outs, we can know that our God is never forgetting His people, that He is constantly at work. And it's amazing what happens when we begin to reflect on who this God is and his character and his faithfulness. It causes us to understand that faithfulness. And that's the second thing we see in the text. David, in light of all that has gone on, we we read in verses 11 and 12. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And you notice what David does it says in verse 12, it says, And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. If you just look back really quickly at verse 9 in chapter 4, there's the whole story of Rechab and Baana chopping off the head of Ishbosheth, and they bring the head of Ishbosheth to David. And David's response is, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. David's instincts of looking to his God, Ishbosheth's head's being presented to him, and he's saying, I don't need you to cut off Ishbosheth's head. I've got God who's going to be faithful to me. He's been faithful time and time again. And you can imagine the scene for David as he has, is standing and potentially seeing all of this happen. And David, in, the, in Spanish, I like the, the, the translation, it says, and David comprehended. And in Spanish, that word is a deeper word. It is a heart-level word that he internalized the reality of all that God had done, not just understood mentally, but understood and comprehended that this was God who had been faithful to him. It was God who had been the one establishing the kingdom. And that's very important, brothers and sisters, in Christ. The story is not about David. The story is not about David. So often we want to think the story is about us. We want to think the stories about what's going on in our life. Instagram and Facebook have that whole ability to have your own stories each day so that you can have it all focused on you and we can get caught up in the story of David and think the whole story is, a, is about David. But the, the center idea it is, is that it is God who has established the kingdom, not David. It is God who has been faithful to his word. It is God who is chasing down his people and hunting them down and building his kingdom for the sake of his own glory and, and to uphold his character because he had given his word that he would be faithful to his people and that he had exalted David for the purpose, the purpose of showing his character and the purpose of showing that he would be good to his people. And that's an amazing thought, brothers and sisters, as oftentimes we get caught up in all these things of what's going on around us. And oftentimes we can lose focus. David could have in moments, which I'm sure he did, living in a cave, remembering when he had been selected as the king over his brothers, running away from Saul thinking this does not look like a promise this does not look like faithfulness this feels terrible and now he's standing with kings sending him cedars and building him a home and he has armies standing before him and what's his recognition man i did pretty good no it is god who's established this If the Lord has been kind to you, if the Lord has been gracious to you, you shouldn't say, wow, I deserved this. It should cause you to say, Lord, thank you for your mercy and your kindness to me, a wretch and a sinner. It's unbelievable that you would be faithful. And so the reality is that God is being faithful. And we should look to Him. And that's what David teaches us a little bit is that in our situations, we should look to our God. I don't know what situations you came in here with tonight. I don't know what burdens and struggles and pains that you carry. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe your parents are going through a divorce. Maybe you're struggling with your own identity in a myriad of different ways. Maybe you're extremely lonely. Maybe you're longing for fellowship. Maybe you're longing for friendship. Maybe you don't know where you fit. Maybe you're depressed. struggling to see the rainbow. But I can tell you that where you can find hope is not looking at your situations, but looking at your God, looking to your Christ, looking to the one who rends the heavens for your sake, the one who has been faithful time and time again. If he's been faithful to David over 800 years to Abraham and Genesis 3.15 of keeping his faithfulness all the way to this point. He is going to take it all the way to the cross. And we can look back and say, this Lord has been faithful even to the point of placing his own son on the cross for a wretch such as me. Do You see his faithfulness. It is to draw your eyes to the cross. It is to draw your eyes to him. That's the point the text is helping us see. Look to the king who is establishing. It is not David. It is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And yet there's this fearful little thing that comes almost directly after it. You see, David understands. And this is where we can relate with David a whole lot because we're reminded of David's unfaithfulness. David understands that it is God who has established the kingdom but in verse 13 it, we read and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to David you see what we're reminded of in this text is that David is not the perfect king David is not the one that they were truly waiting for see men are flawed men are human. This text should cause us to to have our tendencies to want to have hero worship challenged. Actually, my friend who was just in Honduras, um, we were talking about the fact that one of our daughters shares Sinclair Ferguson's name because Sinclair Ferguson is a, a great theologian and somebody I highly respect. And he told me, yeah, where we are in Scotland, Sinclair Ferguson's just another Sunday night preacher. And I was like, wow, in the States, he's a big deal, right? That's how we think. And we have this tendency towards hero worship, of wanting to, to look to these men and, 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 and trust them. But here is King David at his height of recognizing it is all of God. And then it is low at his still falling into struggling with having many women. And it's only going to get worse When we get to chapters 11 and 12, when he takes Bathsheba and he stops acting like the king, and he he has a Hittite acting more like a king than he is. When Uriah is the one saying, no, I could never treat the people like this. And yet David just kind of hanging out in the temple, not fighting for his people when he was supposed to be there. And so we see the flaws of David, but what it should do is help us not to look to David, but to look to the God of David and see, have our eyes lifted heavenward to look to the Christ that did come. That's the point, is that this man has failed, but he is a shadow of the one to come who will be faithful. That's what we should be seeing so as we see, firstly, as we saw tonight, the idea that, that, there, that God is faithful to the promise, then we see that there is understanding of that faithfulness, then we see that David is unfaithful to, or the unfaithfulness of man. But then finally, we see that God continues to be faithful. We get one more military situation, and it's the situation from 17 to the end of the chapter. We see that David... Or the Philistines hear that David is now the king, and they respond to that, and they're upset. And so in verse 17, it says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went down to uh, the stronghold. Now, the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David has this whole crew of people. Another army has come against him. They're all standing before him. And David shows a difference between him and Saul. How does David respond to the situation? David doesn't say, hey, look, let's go. We've, we've got this. No. David in verse 19 says, And David inquired of the Lord. As the situation is dire, David goes to his God. David goes to where he knows there is help. And he asks the Lord what he should do. And we see that that God will be faithful and it's such a stark difference between David and Saul because in verse 25 it says, and David did as the Lord commanded him. You see, David went to God and he obeyed God. He didn't come up with his own ways to do it. The last time we saw Saul, he, he, well, he died, and then before that he was going to a medium to try and get to whatever he could get through the prophet. And we see that, that Saul is trying to do it his own way, and yet this David that we see is a man who goes down and he asks the Lord and he obeys the Lord. But again, the point of the text is not what David does. It's what God does. So when David goes down, he asks, and then in verse 20 and 24, it tells us what God has done. Verse 20, it says, And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there, that being the Philistines. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And if you flip over to 24, it says... And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the armies of the philistines you see what god is doing it is god who is fighting for his people it is god the warrior for his people israel for david that he is being faithful he is showing him the strong himself the strong god who will defeat his enemies for the good of his people it isn't david it is god delivering the philistines to david it is god going out before him and isn't it interesting these words that are used used here that it is God who broke through, broke through. And isn't that the very thing that Christ did when he broke through death the chains of death and gave us access to have victory over death in Christ Jesus we have a hope it is him that has broken through and then if you look in verse 24 it says that for for, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the enemies it is him who is leading the way we follow Christ the idea is that this God is a God of power a God that is enough for us a God who is willing to save a God who is willing to die for the sake of sinners to show us his faithfulness it is him who will fight for his people and notice the difference verse 21 and the Philistines left their idols there and David and his men carried them away the difference is these guys worshiping their little idols and yet this God is fighting for his people the glory of this God the power of this God and we see that In Christ Jesus. Do you want to understand or or come to understand the faithfulness of God to the measure that he is going to go? He's going to send his son in our place to die. You see, as I was thinking about that place El Patio, one day El Patio is going to close, I'm sure. In 2004, my granddad died and my Grandmother moved out of the house in Nashville. I can never go back and get that smell. But this God will never change. This God will never come up short. This God will never sell. This God will never close down. This God will be faithful time and time again and that's where you can come to Christ and realize maybe you came tonight and you think, Aaron, I am full of sin and wickedness. So is David. Aaron, I'm undeserving. So is David. Aaron... I can't, yes, because the text is about God. It is God who is going to save his people. It is God who's saving his people in Beaufort, in Charleston, in Savannah, in Honduras. It is the faithfulness of God. It is to look to him tonight. If you are an unbeliever, young people, if you do not know Christ or you think there is something that you have done that would keep you from him, I tell you, come to this Christ who is willing and able to save. He's more than willing seek his face. If you have questions about what that looks like, talk to your elders, talk to your pastors. Maybe you're a backslidden Christian who's thinking, oh, but I've been backsliding for a long time. Aaron, you don't know what I've gotten into. You don't know the things that I'm hiding in my secret life. Oh, but this Christ does, and he willingly offers himself to you. Come to him. Repent. Turn to him. He is willing and able to to save even a man like David if you look at chapters 11 and 12 David goes into very very dark sin and yet God is still willing to be named along the lines of David that is our hope it's not about David it's about Christ but maybe you're a believer here this morning or this evening and you're struggling it's been some hard hard Seasons, ups and downs and ins and outs. My plea, my petition for you would be to look and see the faithfulness of your God. He doesn't forget you. You may think, "I've but Aaron, I've been praying and praying and praying. Our God is that prayer-hearing, answering God. Because he's a faithful God. He's a present God. He's a God who is with us. Even when our feelings tell us something different, he's still being faithful. I can tell you when you read the Psalms and you look at David's petitions when he's in the darkness of the caves, he feels very lonely. But the presence of God is still there. And it is God still being faithful because even in those moments, he is using them to make you more like Christ and finish the work He has began in you. So my plea with all of us this evening is that we would look away from ourselves and look to the faithfulness of our our God as we're going to close singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And we're going to look at the fact that it is our God who is going to be faithful today, tomorrow, until the ends of the earth. Because that's our hope. Not man, but Christ. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you that you preach a better sermon than the one that is preached, that has been preached here. We thank you that by your spirit you apply the word to our hearts. Oh Lord, we ask that you would cause us to be captivated anew by your loving kindness. That we would see the glories of Christ. And Lord, in a group this size, we would have to admit that there is most likely people amongst us that do not know you. Oh, Lord, that You would give them hearts of flesh, that You would give them the ability to hear their need of Christ, that they would repent and come to You, a a God who is willing to receive, a Christ who is gentle and lowly. Oh, Lord, that they would see their need of You. Lord, that we would be encouraged, if we are believers, to trust Your faithfulness to us. Oh, Lord, grant us eyes to see the riches that are ours in Christ.